0: IHG came calling to me, and at that time, it was the largest hotel program in the world because it was pre the, the merger of Starwood and Marriott. And by the way, IHG was also the first hotel loyalty program in the world. So it was an opportunity for me to go back and build something from a global perspective. It also had multiple dimensions and multiple programs. So it had IHG, One Reward, which is now called One Rewards, it had IHG Dining Reward. We launched IHG Business Rewards while I was there. Um, it had Intercontinental Ambassador, which was a subscription program specific to one specific brand. And then there was the merger of or the acquisition of Kimpton and seeing if there was a way in which we bring the Kimpton Karma program into IHG while also p- protecting the inner circle elements of that program. So, all of those represented challenges, and I always wanted to try and see if there were ways in which I could challenge myself to, to find paths to, to make the programs a little bit more attractive. Doing that on a global scale is another massive challenge.
1: Hey there, points people. You just heard a clip from Dave Canty, head of loyalty at Built Rewards. Dave is an award-winning marketing executive specializing in loyalty programs and partnership strategy particularly in the airline and hospitality sectors. Dave has a proven track record of transforming loyalty programs, and he has led the evolution of programs like SPG, JetBlue, IHG, and Built. Yeah, that's all the same guy. In this episode, Dave and I discuss his role in the development of different loyalty programs where he focused on customer-centric approaches that catered to both power users and new customers. I met Dave through the hashtag BuiltPartner program, and I've just gotta say, I get a ton of value out of Built points. Make sure you subscribe to the GeoBreeze Travel YouTube channel because I am dropping a step-by-step tutorial really soon about how I was able to redeem built points for a transatlantic business class flight and I got more than 27 cents per point on the redemption. Remember, if you decide to apply for the Built Rewards MasterCard or any other card, never apply directly through Google. Always use a friend or creator's referral link. And if you're interested in supporting this show when you apply for your next card, check out GeoBreezeTravel.com slash cards. And if you're not sure what card is right for you, I offer free credit card consultations at GeoBreezeTravel.com slash consultations. And we have links to the Built Rewards MasterCard and the free consultation form for you in the show notes as well. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast, a show for anyone wanting to level up their travel hacking lifestyle. I'm your host, Julia Menez. I'm a travel hacker, coach, speaker, Filipina-American ENTJ who loves solid travel gear and using shortcuts on spreadsheets. On this show, I'm on a mission to bring you travel hackers from all walks of life to help you level up your travel hacking game. We dive into credit cards, miles, points, strategy, mindset, and the secrets behind how to travel the world for next to no cost. So let's get hacking. Did you know that you can often find Delta flights for cheaper on Virgin Atlantic versus what Delta charges with points on its own website? This is just one of many suggestions that you might find on PointMe for the best way to use your points and miles to book flights. PointMe helps you to book your reward flight from start to finish, showing you award options across different airlines and even has tutorials showing you how to move your points and book your flights. I've tested PointMe across tons of different searches and the time that they spend double and triple checking results truly has an impact. The results that they show are super accurate and consistent with what's actually available with different airlines. Check out Point Me by going to geobreezetravel.com slash pointme and get your first three searches free. Again, that's geobreezetravel.com slash pointme. P-O-I-N-T-M-E. Hey Dave, welcome to the Geo Breeze Travel Podcast.
0: How's it going, Julia? Good to see you again.
1: Good to see you as well. I am so excited to have you here. The man behind pretty much all of the loyalty industry. You've been involved in so many of our favorite programs throughout the years. Before we jump into all of that and how you have built so many great loyalty programs, I know we're gonna talk a lot today about what makes a good loyalty program. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you even get started in this world of designing loyalty programs?
0: <laughs> great, so my I'm Dave Canty, I'm from Ireland. And I came to the States in 1995, and the whole purpose was to help ICT Sheraton at the time bring their program, Sheraton Club International, in-house. So when we were doing that, we went through a process of trying to create a, a kind of globally attractive program. But at the same time, then we got acquired by a, a real estate investment trust called Starwood. And that presented a whole new opportunity to actually stop what we were doing and look at a way in which we could create the best loyalty program in the world. The resulting SPG certainly did that. I think it was groundbreaking at the time because it was the first hotel program to introduce the concept of, hey, there are no blackout dates on redemption. While we say that today, that probably doesn't sound groundbreaking, but it was back then.
1: I know that a lot of people listening to this are probably like, oh, SPG was the best program ever, RIP to SPG. For those of us who joined the game on the tail end of SPG or ones that had already been absorbed into Marriott, what were some of the things that made SPG so good from a loyalty standpoint, other than the no blackout dates thing that made people go, oh my God, this this program is so good.
0: There were a number of different factors. One was we tried to approach creating the program from the customer's perspective. So up to that point, a lot of programs have been brought to the market that were really from the corporation's perspective, where we, you, know, you think you're creating a program that's going to be attractive, but the rubber only hits the road when you actually get interaction with your customers. We had gone down the path of actually listening to what were the biggest pain points people felt about any loyalty program and one of the things that we'd heard was obviously the the ability to redeem at lower levels so having lower hurdles opening up the the calendar and getting rid of blackout dates then obviously we layered in other elements as well by introducing a co-brand card that allowed you to accelerate and earn even more of the currency and all of a sudden you you started to create an engine that not only was rewarding the right types of behaviors from a stay perspective and number of nights, but also SPG was now, by, by introducing the co-brand card at that time, it was starting to get into everyday relevancy for our customers. So we approached it from that perspective and that philosophy I've kind of like taken into every program I've worked on so it's always been about okay we can all sit in a room and we can all come up with great ideas and think that we've got the right kind of construct for a program but you need to step back and think about it from the customer's perspective and say okay are we actually meeting what their needs are so I've always approached every program that I've worked on engaging the customer base before we even roll out a program And then that kind of sets you up for success from the outset, but it also allows you to bring the customer on a journey where they feel like they're vested in the design of the program. They feel like I've had some influence in how this is actually turning out and the value proposition. Not everything is always going to land exactly as you want it. And that's where you have to have that kind of ongoing dialogue, getting feedback and understanding, do I have the the nimbleness within my organization and even within my program to be able to make slight adjustments and tweaks to meet the customer's expectations? So you'll see that with Built, we started with a proposition and we updated it based on feedback and we continuously build in new layers to the proposition. The same happened at JetBlue. The customer was definitely a part of the the design journey. And I think that set them up for success for a long time. And the important thing is that whatever program you ever deliver, that's just the beginning, really. You can't just launch a program and say, here it is, go out and enjoy it. It's really about continuously looking for ways to improve it based on how customers are interacting with it and so forth.
1: What are some of the differences for how to craft a hotel loyalty program like you did with SPG versus an airline program like you did with JetBlue? Is it very much a similar process where you just ask, what are you looking for? How can we serve you better? Or are there inherent differences between hotel and airline programs?
0: There are inherent differences. The interesting thing for me at the time when I relaunched TrueBlue was airline programs at that point in time were all about miles and miles flown. So if you flew to thousand miles, you earned 2000 miles. So in building the True Blue program, it was about taking a risk and challenging the industry and the customers that, that interact in that industry. So you're trying to change a mindset where you're basically saying, I'm not going to award based on miles flown anymore. I'm going to award based on dollars spent. So that was a big, big challenge. And even though I was engaging customers to come on that journey in changing an airline loyalty program and introducing the concept of earn based on spend that didn't come without pushback. But it also meant that it was challenging me and the leadership of JetBlue to be committed to what we were doing, but at the same time, understand that we'll have to make adjustments as we go forward. And some of the things that we did was we introduced embedded bonuses within the program to ensure that people felt like they were still getting enough value from it on the hotel side you're you're building a program that while airlines are selling seats hotels are obviously selling rooms the the revenue management of hotel programs is important because many hotels w- will you know depend on the reimbursement models that they're getting from the parent company of the hotel. So based on those redemptions, in order to get that correct, you need to bring the the owners of those hotels on a journey and get buy-in and your franchisees. On the airline side, you're dealing with one franchise and that is the airlines. Historically on the airline side, revenue management would basically bucket certain seats available for redemption. At JetBlue, we wanted to open up every seat on the aircraft for redemption. Now that doesn't mean to say that there weren't seats that were ultimately unattractive from a redemption value perspective. There were, but as far as I was concerned, I was giving the customer the choice as to whether they wanted to redeem for those or not. Is that a better choice than not being able to have access at all? I felt it was so. That's the the difference is all on making the inventory available. Sometimes that's not as easy on the hotel side because hotels traditionally haven't revenue managed with points, if that makes sense. They're basically revenue managing based on on rates and and so forth. Whereas if you introduce a full on dynamic pricing model, then you can actually start revenue managing by points, make everything available.
1: When you guys are going through this type of revenue management and looking at the different metrics for your dream customers versus customers where you're like these people are headaches, where do points and miles loyalty like the hardcore loyalists, like the people who listen to this podcast, do the people who manage loyalty programs tend to like us because we're hype people and cheerleaders and everything? Or are we just like a drain on profit where you guys are like, please, please go to somebody else's hotel. Please go away. You guys? No, no,
0: no, no, no. I, I look, I, I don't think everybody, but uh, nobody should ever approach a loyalty program to try and disenfranchise any customer, whether it's a power user or kind of an infrequent user but at the same time it's also very very difficult to be all things to everybody there are going to be elements of any program that are not going to appeal to a hundred percent of your customer base the power users the miles and points people who look to try and extract the absolute best value possible and will go through hoops and whatever to try and find what the best deals are they're still important to, to every loyalty program because they, they hold, as somebody who designs a program or runs a program, they hold your feet to the fire to make sure that your, your program stands up and is, is competitive and they're not afraid to call you out. And I think that's important because it actually holds you to a standard that I know that I've got to have a proposition that is going to appeal to that audience but I also recognize that that probably represents 1% or even less of my overall base. So I've also got to make sure that I've got a proposition that to newcomers to the loyalty space is attractive. And the way you would do that traditionally is by introducing low redemption kind of barriers. So I've always been a great believer and I preach this all the time. In any program I've ever worked on, I've always been an advocate for redemption, because to me, redemption breeds loyalty. If somebody can redeem, the earlier they redeem, the more engaged they're going to become with the program. If somebody actually comes into the program and doesn't ever get to taste, any redemption, then they're probably going to disengage because they're not getting any value whatsoever. There's then going to be the guy who who basically just wants to hoard points and just likes to see a balance continuously go and go and go. They're also not getting any value from the program at all, because if you're just going to continuously see your balance move up and up and up and up and up and up and you've never actually redeemed, well, it's worthless. It's just like looking at numbers on a screen. So you want to make sure that you've got low entry hurdles but at the same time attractive options for the power users so it's it's a balance but while i love this community of the points and miles people engaging with the program and giving me feedback what they see as value and what they don't i also want to make sure that i'm building a program that allows people ease of use and get some level of value And I think we're doing that really, really well on on the the build program.
1: You mentioned that we are the 1%, which I think is always important to remind everybody listening to this podcast is that we are not normal, we are the weirdos. And most people out there do not do the kinds of strange points math that the people who listen to this show like to do. As you've gone through the industry during the last few decades, what are some of the main changes that you've seen in customer behavior? Because I know a lot of people are always like, well, now everybody's into points and miles. Everybody feels like as soon as they discover the world of points and miles, everybody knows about points and miles and like that's what makes all good redemptions go away or something. What have you seen from the corporate side as far as availability of loyalty redemptions and just the industry trends that have changed over the last few years?
0: What I would say is that certain programs will will be set up for failure simply because they've approached it from the incorrect starting point. If an organization is just Trying to put a program together to just as a cost of doing business, let's say, because I'm going to create a program because my competitor down the street has got a program. Then that's not the right mindset to be going in. And that's why you see a number of programs that come out and then ultimately either fail, go away or get shut down. Um, so I think there's now a little bit more of an intelligent mindset coming in where loyalty was always like for want of a better term the the redheaded stepchild within an overall organization it was like the loyalty team always had to prove itself out to the organization the value that they were bringing in that happens in airlines today it happens in hotel programs today i'm sure it happens on the retail side as well where historically loyalty programs were almost looked at as a cost center versus a revenue generating center and now i think loyalty programs are being given the credit and the respect within organizations that historically they didn't if you look at major events like and i'll just use the pandemic covid as an example those are the types of events that really challenge loyalty programs to step up. And that's where they can actually really prove themselves out because you'll see that even in downturn economy situations, that's when a loyalty program can really step out and into the sunshine and demonstrate the overall organization that, look, we actually have a loyal customer base who are engaged with our brand more so than the non-loyalty kind of customer. And we can now show you and demonstrate to you that loyalty customers will respond better to certain types of promotions and so forth. The biggest change I've seen over the course of the last few years has been the adoption of loyalty externally by customers and the respect of loyalty programs internally by the broader stakeholders and C-suites.
1: Is it normally considered as like a sales function or a marketing function? Because you mentioned it used to be more an expense. How do companies tend to look at their loyalty departments these days?
0: It's a hybrid marketing function. So it, it generally will sit in a marketing kind of organization. But because loyalty programs touch all different facets of the organization, so it, There's, there's a financial element. So you're constantly kind of building relationships with your financial team and your accounting team. There's a revenue management element. So you're constantly working with those stakeholders. You're working with your sales team because sales organizations are going out and trying to pitch a product or a service. And the way that they can embellish the offering is overlaying a loyalty element to it. So there's multiple different elements. And one of the things I've always believed is any person who's coming into any organization, as it happens now, built is an overall loyalty company. And it's great because you're getting to understand all the different disciplines of any commercial business, as well as operational elements. If in big, corporates or whatever where loyalty sits as its own discipline young professionals or young college kind of graduates that are coming into an organization certainly into a, a marketing organization should try and get familiar with their loyalty department earlier than later because it's an opportunity for you to learn multiple facets of the business very very quickly because it's almost like running a company within a company
1: Yeah, that makes sense from the product standpoint versus marketing versus finance versus accounting versus all of those different pieces. How did you decide what companies to go to throughout your career journey? Because you have done AutoZone, JetBlue, IHG, SPG, now built. Do you tend to go to places where you're like, I think there's a lot of opportunity here? Or do you look at places where you're like, oh, you need help. I can help. Like, how do you choose your next career move?
0: It's a mixture of luck opportunities to actually grow yourself and penetrate a market when i joined autozone there were a couple of reasons why i did that and one was that there were no loyalty programs in that space two was i had never worked in retail before and i wanted to try and get an understanding of a retail industry three there was a pretty significant budget that was allocated to understanding if we needed to Do anything in the loyalty space so there was an educational and growth element for me as well and it's funny you bring up AutoZone because I was literally at AutoZone yesterday for my daughter's car and I'm looking at the the signage behind the the counter it's like AutoZone rewards and I'm delighted that the proposition is still the same as what was created way back when in 2006 so it stood the test of time but what was really interesting for me in in that regard was actually seeing how you can clearly change the behavior of somebody in retail space so i was definitely interested in that when i got to a point where i realized that look i've learned as much as i want to learn in in this space but at the same time i miss the travel space I was lucky enough that JetBlue were looking to do something in the loyalty space as well. And they invited me back to New York to to look at what we could do. And I approached the JetBlue project for want of a better term again, based on the fact that I wanted to make sure I wasn't gonna create just another airline program. It had to be something that was gonna be new and innovative and creating a revenue-based program while challenging because, like I said earlier on, you're asking a customer base to to change their mindset on how they actually earn that currency. That was a big motivator for me to kind of like put together the ideas and get everybody on board and go on that journey. I was eight years at JetBlue and eight magnificent years, totally enjoyed it. but. IHG came calling to me, and at that time, it was the largest hotel program in the world because it was pre the, the merger of Starwood and Marriott. And by the way, IHG was also the first hotel loyalty program in the world. So it was an opportunity for me to go back and build something from a global perspective. It also had multiple dimensions and multiple programs. So it had IHG, one reward, which is now called One Rewards, it had IHG Dining Reward. We launched IHG Business Rewards while I was there. Um, it had Intercontinental Ambassador, which was a subscription program specific to one specific brand. And then there was the merger of or the acquisition of Kimpton and seeing if there was a way in which we could bring the Kimpton Karma program into IHG while also protecting the inner circle elements of that program. So, All of those represented challenges. And I always wanted to try and see if there were ways in which I could challenge myself to to find paths to, to make the programs a little bit more attractive. Doing that on a global scale is another massive challenge because whatever you come up with to try and satisfy a US based audience may not necessarily work in China. So you have to think about it and work in the local markets to understand what are the nuances and changes that you need to adjust and so forth. And then built built became extremely attractive to me because I was very interested in working and creating programs that would appeal to a younger demographic. I had felt that a lot of the existing loyalty programs that have been out there for many, many years hadn't done enough in adjusting their value proposition to attract in a younger base. And when Ankur Jane, our CEO, reached out to me and pitched the idea of a program all around rent, I thought it was genius. So having the opportunity on building something like that from scratch and then rolling it out and listening to what people are thinking about it and building out an ecosystem all around value and the travel partners that we we put together building that ecosystem out it was truly rewarding and challenging at the same time and the way i've always looked at it is any program it it doesn't have an end date the thing i love about built is i see it as like an onion i think there are multiple ways that we can continuously evolve the program peel back another layer and add a new dimension to it And working with people like yourself and in the Points and Miles community and hearing what you're getting, your honest feedback on what you think about what we're doing, whether it be introducing a, a, a new benefit or adding a new partner or coming up with a new promotion. All of those things allow us to continuously keep ourselves on our toes and stay fresh but I think the thing that I find most exciting is the fact that you're building a program that you really want to outlast yourself. You know, So at some point in time, whoever comes in behind me of what's been built before them and can take it on for the next generation and so forth. Not that I'm planning on moving on anytime soon. I think there's plenty more to be done right now, but you definitely want to build programs that will continuously outlast you.
1: When you mentioned earlier that the goal of a lot of loyalty programs, probably any loyalty program, is to influence behavior, what is the behavior that you're looking to influence with Build, other than please get our card, please use our card, what other more nuanced everyday behaviors would you ideally like to influence with this program?
0: Well, first of all, Build is not just about a card. It's a program before the card, and I think what we're trying to do now is, is become truly relevant in everybody's local neighborhoods. So we're actually looking at broadening the program as well. At the core, we're a rent program and we'll always, that will always be what we are at the, at the center. We're continuously looking at ways in which we build out the program to be relevant in your local community, in your local neighborhood. And we're now working on ways in which that you can interact with the program, whether that be with we introduced, we started off with built dining, then we went into ride share and, and so forth. And we're going to continuously build that ecosystem out. And that goes beyond the built card. That's now built rewards members who are adding their preferred card to the built wallet and spending and interacting in their local neighborhoods, getting rewards for doing so. So I'm sure you're aware we introduced the Built Wallet a couple of months ago. That allows you to add whichever card you want. And when you spend at merchants that are on the Built Rewards Merchant Network, you're going to continuously earn in the program that way. Becoming much more relevant in somebody's everyday life is something that we're passionate about. And I'm really excited about where that's going. I think there's so many things that we're going to kind of like get into starting with dining, but it might get down into the local bodegas and whether it be the launderettes. So the local merchants in your neighborhood now become part of your kind of community as it were. And to me now having a program that is truly relevant in your everyday life is the holy grail.
1: I love that. How do the customer behaviors for the U S market differ versus in other countries. Cause we get this question a lot of like, Hey, there's no credit card benefits or like, there's not very many loyalty benefits outside of the United States. I get a lot of letters from people outside of the United States asking if I can help. I'm sorry. I probably cannot. How are those behaviors a little bit different when you're going for a U.S. market versus an international market?
0: I think it comes down to value. First of all, what is the core proposition of your program in your market? And that's why it's important when I spoke about build rewards, not always being about the built card. People hone in on the card element, but you got to remember that there aren't really an awful lot of card programs in other markets. So, what is it that kind of makes the value proposition in that market stand out? And in some ways it may be the value of what you can redeem for or it might be access to something or it may be an experience that you're getting or it may may be all down to recognition i think of the wonderful hotel company rosewood hotels stunning hotels and i was doing some work for them and they were adamant about the fact that they did not want a loyalty program But they were very passionate about having a recognition program. So using data to be able to deliver an experience. So understanding as much as they possibly could about a customer and taking those data elements and creating an overall experience is important. So that's just an example of, a brand that is using data to deliver an experience, but not necessarily using it as a loyalty program. And then you have other organizations in in other countries where it's based on value. It's based on something off or you, you get incremental value, whether it be buy five copies and get your six free. I don't know. They're, there's always a program that's going to work in one specific market.
1: What do you think are some of the future trends that we can expect in loyalty? Do you think it's a lot more of these like data driven decisions like you mentioned with Rosewood? Is it more of these special customized experiences like you could get NFL suite tickets through built, which you couldn't do through any other any other loyalty company? Is that kind of the future of what we're expecting, or do we expect to see other trends in loyalty going forward?
0: I think we're always going to try and be smarter marketers based on the data that we have. But at the same time, it's not just about like leaning into the data. It's it it actually is about listening. It's about listening to the data, but also having conversations with your customers. I'll give you an example. You you mentioned the the NFL Sweet Nights. Those are great opportunities for you to have like one-on-one conversations with somebody, and they may not even realize that they're giving you an idea to shape something in the future. So having those human kind of connections is going to be important. I do think that there's going to be some level of AI coming into play with loyalty programs, how that manifests itself, not entirely sure yet, but I'm interested in keeping an eye in how that develops. I think great marketing organizations though, will continuously try and learn based on the behaviors of their customers today to inform what they want to do and deliver to them tomorrow. And I think that's very, very important. It, it's not complicated. It's just like keeping it simple and, and making sure that you're doing it in such a way that it, it adds value to your members. Do
1: you think that loyalty industries at large do an okay job of talking to people to get these ideas, or in general, would you say a lot of the programs just do focus too much on that technical aspect and not enough on that human elephant? And that's how we end up with a whole bunch of coupon books or something that we're like, nobody asked for these different benefits, but here we
0: are. It's a good question. I, I think sometimes loyalty companies fall into the trap of just listening to their top performers. We, we spoke earlier about you've got your mega users, like your points and miles people, and you can fall into the trap of just listening to them and forgetting to actually listen to your infrequent user or your kind of user who's like doing the best they can but isn't kind of like ever going to be a power user but wants to get some sort of value. I think those are traps that you can fall into. I think it's important for organizations to get that balance correct and continue to see if there are ways in which you can engage all kind of constituents within your membership base. Because I think that's where the richness is.
1: So I personally do this thing where I go through a whole bunch of deals, especially as we're recording this on Black Friday. And I sign up for a whole bunch of subscriptions for different loyalty programs, mostly restaurants, just so I can get like free birthday treats or welcome treats or something. And then I tend to unsubscribe right afterwards. (laughs) I am sure I am the least profitable person for Shake Shack. Is that a problem? Like, Am I a problem child for most different loyalty programs? If there are a whole bunch of people like me on the internet who are like, oh, I'm just going to sign up to get a free thing and then like never come back. And it's not very loyal at all. Do people like me cause problems?
0: I don't know if you cause problems. I, I, I think in some ways you become a cost factor. And sometimes that can sway how, how people invest in a, in a program. Because if everybody started doing that, then the program ultimately is going to become unprofitable and therefore it's not going to get the support within the organization to continue. But thankfully, I don't think, like I said, it's the 1%, but at the same time, I think there are opportunities for us to learn about those types of behaviors. So like, are are people dipping in and then dipping out? And if they are, is there value in that? Because in some cases you might dip in for your Shake Shack meal or whatever, and completely disengage on a go forward basis but at the same time you might become an advocate for the Shake Shack food and be not an ambassador but you're telling somebody about the fact that I my favorite burger is a Shake Shack burger or whatever Yeah, so there might be some kind of incremental benefit there but I don't think programs and program operators are beating themselves up on trying to shut you down that's not what they're that's it's that's where it is a cost of doing business element you're always going to have an element of that i don't i wouldn't focus on that as a program operator
1: similar to people who are like oh i'm going to download the free built app link up all of my different programs get a thousand free points transfer them all to hyatt and then like maybe uninstall the app it's not that big of a factor to where there's huge concerns over it or anything from a program operator
0: standpoint right part of me kind of like gets annoyed because I kind of go what's the point do you know what I mean now you might say well it's a thousand points that I can use but you're really not getting the value of the overall program if you're just going to pop in and pop out it's all about engagement I mean we've been very careful about creating content that is valuable as well not just the currency you know I'm very proud of the fact that we now have the most valuable currency in the loyalty space. It's called out by TPG as the richest currency. It's called out by Bankrate as the richest currency. I think if you look beyond the currency though, and you look at the value of the contents that we create and the educational elements that we're putting together, you start to see a much more holistically valuable program. And I think that's something that people should keep in mind of any program. But I can only speak about built and making sure that we're continuously looking to add value and create a great kind of positive interaction with you so that if you do download the app value in it immediately. So whether it be information through the content and the editorials that we put together or whether it be through the promotions that we create, whether it be on rent Day where we double everything. Or whether it be something that we do with our partners, continuously engaging with us and understanding why we're doing it and so forth. We're looking at building a long-term relationship with people. And while it don't it doesn't keep me up at night about the fact that some people will enroll, download the app, and then duck out, I I feel like it's there, they're missing out, to be perfectly honest, on a much richer experience than if they had kept the app on their phone, added their other cards to the built wallet and got true value from the program. It's like I said, you don't have to have a built card. You can add your own cards into the built wallet, and then you will start getting more and more value as well. I think ultimately you'll want to have the built card because it's one of the best, best no fee cards out there, if not the best, but then again, I'm biased, but I do think that there's an opportunity for people that are disinterested in that card. Okay. Well. Add all your other cards and you can continuously earn the currency. So I think people who dip in and out are just missing out.
1: Yeah, I think there's also something to be said for doing a little bit more of a deep dive into different programs. I know people get what we call shiny card syndrome and probably just shiny app syndrome, shiny object syndrome for everything these days where they're like, oh, I heard all of these 50 different things mentioned by somebody (laughs) online. I should download all of them and not actually go into level two with any of them to find out the deeper rewards that I can get, which is a way to miss out on a lot of benefits. So what would you say is like the dream customer for somebody using your program? I don't
0: think we've ever gone out and defined a dream customer. I'll be honest with you. I think anybody who downloads our app and interacts with the program and engages with us is a dream customer because It it comes back to, yes, there are power users, but there are other everyday people that are continuously engaging with us and and getting value from the program. So a dream customer, I don't think I've ever really gone down the path of trying to define what that is, but there may be other people within the organization are saying, I want my dream customer is my most profitable. Well, you know what? Good for you. I want somebody who actually loves my program for a much bigger kind of reward.
1: Perfect. And where can people go to learn more about the Built program and everything else that you guys are rolling out in the future?
0: If you go to builtrewards.com or you can download the Built Rewards app on your device and, you know, keep in touch, get out there, get onto the blogs like GeoBreeze and so forth and learn a little bit more about it. I think there's more to come from Built. We're excited about where we're going with the program. And I think where it comes to life, just stay tuned to builtrewards.com.
1: Cool. Thank you again so much, Dave, for sharing all of your knowledge with us on the show today.
0: You're welcome, Judith. Cheers.
1: Cheers.